Hey everyone, before we get to today's content, I wanted to tell you about a brand new podcast from the 11FS Podcast Network, the FinTech Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. Over the last couple months, I've been speaking to heads of marketing from the world's leading FinTech and financial service brands, Monzo, Revolut, MasterCard, Zero, Starling, Lemonade, and many more. We heard their insights and ideas on how they build brand and drive growth for their businesses, and now we can bring them to you. So if you're into FinTech, FS, marketing, which I assume you are, uh, please check out our brand new podcast. Search for FinTech Marketing Podcast on any podcast platform. Subscribe, share, leave us a review, and please do let us know your thoughts. Appreciate the support. This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 63 of InsureTech Insider. As the COVID-19 situation continues to develop rapidly at 11FS, we're all working from home, which also means recording our podcast remotely. We hope that this won't impact you, our listeners, too much and that we can bring you some valuable insights to our community regardless. So today we are revisiting insurance in the world of renting. In the UK, over a quarter of households, that's 7.5 million, have no contents insurance at all. This means that there is over £266 billion worth of unprotected possessions potentially at risk. Traditionally, renters' insurance was almost exclusively contents insurance, but recently more diverse solutions have begun to emerge. And to discuss those solutions, uh, we have two experts on today's show to talk us through the problems, uh, who needs what type of cover, and how firms in this space can reach their intended customers. Um, but first, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? I'm like a caged bear stuck at home waiting to get back out. Well, that does not bode well. Um, <laughs> do you have home insurance? I do. And I am forever in awe at the number of people that don't. And I can understand sometimes why. Um, but I have questioned it this year. And I have questioned it because I keep meeting people that I think are like me or similar age or similar thing with kids and family that don't have it. And I think they're going, do I have it? Why do I have it? So I'm actually finding it more and more of an interesting question than more people I meet that don't have it, if that makes sense. Okay, well, we can dig into that as we carry on. But first, I'm going to introduce our guests. Um, returning to the podcast is Jimmy Williams, co-founder of Urban Jungle. How are you today, Jimmy? Very well, thank you. Can you um, can you start off by giving us a quick recap of what Urban Jungle does? I know we've had you on a few times, but but just in case. Absolutely. So Urban Jungle is a challenger brand uh, in the content insurance space. Um, we're hyper-focused on renters, um, and we do that. Uh, by making it super easy to buy and keeping costs low using tech. To answer Nigel's question about him thinking about maybe not getting home insurance, I guess what's been really interesting, you know, getting deep into the insurance world or the home insurance world has been, I see the other side. I see, you know, how much claims we pay out, how often people claim and, you know, what happens when stuff really goes wrong after doing that. I would just never, ever consider being uninsured. It's a really, really bad idea. <laughs> Um, you should definitely get insurance. I definitely do. And I know I'm very interested in that and I would always say that, but 
uh, running an insurance business definitely has convinced me of that. All right. Well, we will pick up on that point as we carry on as well. Um, and last, by no means least, making his InsureTech Insider debut, we have Tahir Faruqi, founder and CEO of Canopy. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? Um, uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm feeling great. Uh, like Nigel, uh, feeling quite connected, um, struck, stuck in the house. Typically, you hear founder stories, you know, starting from the, from the bedrooms into offices, and now we're all working from our bedrooms. <laughs> yes, it has. I, I work from home quite a lot, so it's not been quite as much of an adaptation for me. But I, I have seen a lot of people uh, sort of perched on garden chairs, leaning up against dressing tables, desperately trying to find a workspace. Can you start by giving us a quick overview of Canopy, please, to hear? Sure. So we started Canopy uh, three years ago, and you know, with a very simple mission, um, there are nearly uh, you know, 13 million private renters in the UK market, plus another 4 million um, social housing renters. Um, you know, we asked the question around, you know, why people don't, you know, buy insurance. Well, you know, if, when you look at the stats, nearly 35% of the UK's adult population is um, financially stretched meaning they get to the end of the month and they don't know how to not have any savings, um, you know, buffer to uh, cover um, for life events if, in case life goes wrong. Like right now, we are experiencing a once-in-a-lifetime event. So our mission with Canopy is we're building a platform that will help renters live their best financial lives. Perfect. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's get on with the show. So first up, let's let's take it back to basics. So what did um, renter's insurance used to mean? So sort of, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were a renter, what would renter's insurance get you on, on sort of a standard policy? It's important to sort of remember when you think about Connor's insurance, and this is a lot of, to do with what we do as a company, is this sort of started as an afterthought. Big insurers said, well, you know, I've got all these homeowners that I help out and I insure their building, which is an obvious thing. And then, well, you know, I'm going to insure the stuff inside the building. That makes sense too. And then they went, oh yeah. And couldn't we just sell that constant insurance thing to renters too? And certainly something we find is that that definitely is the sort of order of business that most contest insurance policies are written with homeowners in mind. If you look at the, even the way the terms are written, the language is used, they're all written for homeowners and they just don't think about how renters live. And so, you know, that, that does cover things like your TV and your, your laptop and uh, things like that. And it has evolved over time to have much bigger kind of out of home components. So yes, when you take that laptop out with you or your, or your phone, um, there's also a kind of weird historical quirk of the UK, which to international listeners might sound a bit funny in that home insurance typically captures public liability in the UK. So, uh, you know, it would amaze people from some other countries, I think that. If you don't have home insurance, you don't have public liability insurance, and you can just be going about the world, breaking things and causing problems and not be insured for that. So that's that's another thing that, that's typically in home insurance. And then the the kind of extra bit that's evolved probably more over the last um, kind of four or five years is something called tenants liability that's um, that's been added in. So that ensures the tenant in case they break the landlord stuff. Clearly, when you move into a rented property, you give the landlord um, a deposit, and if you break something, they de- they sort of detract from that deposit, and that ensures you against that loss. So I think we sort of live in that kind of reasonably traditional world, and, and what we're trying to do is rethink those products for renters. So you know, the kind of things we think about are renters move house a lot. We should make that really easy. Renters often share with lots of people they don't know very well. Can we make that kind of interaction of risk really easy? Understand that, price that accurately. So. You know, a big part of what we do is, is focusing on that. And then I think Tahir's more in the kind of some of the newer products 
in the in the insurance space? Yeah, um, look, I think you know. Um, so the our immediate offering in the insurance space is deposit insurance. So there's about four and a half billion pound of cash locked away in deposits. And for a renter, it's quite hard, right? Just think about it. You know, whilst wages haven't gone up, you know, as much, and yet rent over the last uh, four or five years has gone up by fourteen percent. So our, our entry product in the, in the in the market is how do we replace um, you know cash deposits with a one-off insurance policy that makes the point uh, the the process of moving into a property really affordable. Okay, so you know and and as part of that move into a new property, rather than having to pay a five weeks cash deposit, you know you can buy an instant policy from Canopy that covers the landlord for eight weeks, that covers the tenant for. And a major life events, job loss, or critical illness. But at the point of that moving, how do we then also offer point cover for things like liability insurance, you know, through better education? Because also, now that they haven't paid a five weeks cash deposit, they've got some spare cash. So therefore, they should be thinking about things like liability insurance. They should be thinking about things like conflict insurance. So we're bringing all of that, you know, you know, the right protection products at the right point of a renter's life cycle. Okay, cool. So we've seen sort of that's that sort of two different sides to it, I suppose. An interesting thing here, I think, I picked up on what Jimmy was saying was that you know you're you're diversifying, I guess, what renters insurance actually is, and you're making it more appropriate, perhaps a, a more appropriate product for customers. But it sounds like to me that there was sort of the original products were just for sort of one one type of customer, if you like. Whereas I think it's probably worth unpicking all the different customer segments there are in here. So we've just talked about the fact that you've got people who share houses. With with their partner, but you've also got people who share houses with who effectively people could be strangers. You've got people who are private tenants. You've got people who are public tenants. You've got people with money. You've got people with no money. Um, so, you know, should we just, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Just unpicking all of that and, and you know, what that landscape actually looks like. Yeah, uh, there is there is a lot there and we sort of spend a lot of our, our day to day on that. Um, and I think, you know, people, when they look at the renters insurance space, they go, oh, isn't that a bit small? And to hear, I think, you know, said so the numbers right at the top. We're talking about, you know, 17 million households or whatever. This is nearly half the UK population are renting, right, in some form. So it's a it's a big market. And as a result, you know, if you take half the population, clearly there are some sub-segments within there. I think, yeah, when people think renters insurance, they often think about students. Clearly, that's a kind of reasonably small and transitory market because those people are only kind of around for a couple of years. Yeah, and poor. Uh, I would say rich. In our world, they, they are some of the richest. Um, if you think they're sort of maybe, you know, our, our old analogies are of poor, poor students, but um, uh, they're mostly sitting on brand new MacBooks, right? I'm thinking back to my days as students 20 years ago. If you're a student today, I don't think you can afford to be poor. I think if you can go to university today, you have to, by definition, not be in the poorest section of society, unfortunately. Um, uh, yeah, fair point, very fair point. But but, but I think the, the, the challenge has been with, with traditional insurance, you know, you just think about t- typical cover is £100 for a £30,000 worth of cover. Now, if you are one of a customer, let's say, you know, renting through Get Living, right? So you're living in a nice multi-purpose apartment, um, you know, you are quite you know, high end. But as a young person who's just joined the job market, you don't have £30,000 worth of contents. So what you really need is a Mac and a bike cover. So I think you know what's been lacking in the market, and this is where Urban Jungle is quite useful in, in the sense that actually through our passport, we know how much someone's affordability is based on their income profile. We also know what their disposable income is, again, through open banking. And at that point, we can then offer them the right product, be it a cover for a Mac 
or comprehensive cover because now they've been renting for two, three years, earning more money and have more content. So technology makes it easier for you to offer um, demographic specific products, I suppose. Totally. But, but where's where's the trigger though, Jimmy, I guess, from the, the rich student or the more well-off student, as I've been quite rightly correct, corrected here, into the need to buy insurance versus being self-insured? At what point or where is it in my priority list? So probably lower down than it should be. Um, so my sort of ready reckoner on these things is if you lose something worth less than 500 quid, it's not really worth claiming, um, because you'll end up paying more in extra premiums over the next five years. Um, so, so, you know, you should be saving for that, for that risk, uh, anyway. And then there's a segment of population that can't really do that. So maybe we can talk about that separately, but if you're your richer student, that's probably speaking what you should be doing. And then, so you're starting to think about, okay, do I have a phone that costs a grand and a half? Yes, I do. Do I have a MacBook that costs two and a half grand? Yes, I do. I should probably get cover for that. Um, I mean, the stuff we see that's pretty brutal is, you know, many, many more houses burned down than you think. Burglaries, especially through the winter, are really common. People just get absolutely cleared out. And those are the things that even if you're wealthy, they're pretty tough to go and find all of your clothes, all of your kitchen equipment, all of your everything to go and find the money to do that without taking on you know, a load of debt or something. I'm going to say that that point you've just made is the exact same point I make every time we talk about renter's insurance and how I've had people, quite junior people who've, who've worked for me. And I've said, you know, do you have insurance? And their exact point to, to his point is I don't have any stuff. So there's no point. And you know, I don't have a, a bed or a wardrobe. And I say, okay, but who's going to replace every pair of sweaty Betty leggings you own or who's going to replace you know you know every jumper you have or even things down to like how are you going to buy socks do you know what I mean if, if, if there is a fire and everything goes and it is that point that makes people think oh my god I do have stuff because even if you're living away from home and you've only got a portion of your clothes and belongings with you those are likely the most important ones that are most important to you because you've taken them with you um, so I think it's that trigger, but I, I, I wonder as well, I was just going to say on the, on the sort of the student point there, um, how much of this, it certainly used to be the case that when you, when you moved into student halls or when you, you know, joined university, there was a big push from the university to make you get insurance. I think Ensley, if that's still around, used to be the brand that everybody was recommended. Um, and so, you know, as we move on to talking about, you know, why people don't have insurance, I wonder if we can bring it back to kind of that education point as well. You know, who should be telling you to get insurance in the first place? Yeah. So Enze still exists and they still do a lot of that. <laughs> and mostly actually, so I don't know if you remember the big fire that happened in student accommodation about three or four months ago. Um, so they, they were the insurers on that. Helpfully, what they do is they, they do a deal with the landlord to roll it in. So in that specific instance, a load of students who are probably scrambling to try and find some cash at the last minute actually found out that they did have insurance. Um, so that was, a, that was a good news story for the industry, I think, <laughs> of people just sort of, you know, making it exist without them having to, having to do anything. I mean, I, I guess we consider it our responsibility to, to convince people and tell people about it. We think in terms of our customer base, roughly 50% of people are switching insurers to us when we get new customers and the other 50% are new to market or newish. And we really lead on our messaging basically on what we're talking about is you just got more stuff than you think. That's, a, that's generally our, our message. And we find that, you know, we, we've been finding that really effective is, you, you, you know, you show a picture of someone like walking out of a bike shop with a new bike. They're like, oh, I do have a brand new bike and maybe I should insure it. I think, and I guess that, that our view is at least that, you know, part of the reason renters aren't insured is because traditional insurers have not marketed to them, have not 
told them that there's a product for them out there. They don't know that it exists. So if you've got someone out there who's telling them. It goes back to your quirk, right? The whole evolution of this came from when you bought a property, you had to ensure the building is an asset to get the mortgage in the first place. Therefore, you were mandated to have insurance, usually by the lender. That then broke down or was unbundled by the regulator to say, actually, you shouldn't be locked into choice. And then you were given choice. And that's what opened up the market in the first place. And then as you drive that forward, they went, ah, we've now got freedom of choice. We can get our mortgage from whoever we want. We can get our insurance from whoever we want. And that then opens up the market, of course, as you say, to to the whole rental segment in that space. Um, I guess I'm intrigued by, of the 50% that come in to you as net new, uh, what one of the segments per uh, Sarah's point do they actually enter from? Are they entering as student? Because the other thing I think I see is competition there is traditional insurers say, when my kids are old enough, they go off to university if they choose to do so. Do I simply add content away from home under my policy? Now, most people wouldn't necessarily know that's possible in the same way you can get daily cover from a traditional carrier that the cover would do, for example. But it is very much possible. Yeah, so that's why we don't really trade in that space because a lot of people just do that uh, and that is that's pretty economic i think we get the what we do sometimes get is people who have done that with their parents and then they lose their phone and they go oh mum, can i claim on the home insurance for my mobile phone they go absolutely not i don't want to lose my no claims bonus uh, and then they decide that they need to go and get their own cover and actually it's, it's worth it um, we also do a fine line in um, parents buying on behalf of their kids just because, you know, they're, they're trying to teach them a bit of financial responsibility. But no, I mean, a, a big chunk of our, our market is the kind of young professional, it, you know, you're in your first house post uni or maybe a couple of years later, you're just starting to think about looking after your staff, being more responsible. It, it's a bill you're going. And then probably leads us neatly on to some of the other discussions we're going to have today. We also partner with people. So for us, it's really valuable if we can get in front of a customer at a really relevant moment in time when they're thinking about their bills or they're thinking about moving house and so you know we've done i think a really good job of partnering with with sort of like-minded brands to you know from our point of view help us find customers really economically at the right time and from their point of view both to help their own customers and drive um, ancillary revenues and so that's you know that's the sort of I think it's later on the schedule, maybe we jump ahead, but that's why uh, Tahir and uh, my business have a partnership is to do exactly that. Okay, well, let's bring it back to here. Did you want to talk about some of the reasons that you see that people don't have content insurance? So obviously that, you know, you're, you're slightly different models and you're targeting uh, slightly different audiences. So what, what what have you seen? I mean, you know, not, not knowing about it is clearly one. What else is there? I think, you know, I'll start with you know, why people don't buy is lack of awareness, right? So we just talked about that, but also not being there when you need it. So, so what that means is if I'm moving, traditionally what happens is you move into a property, two weeks later, you get a letter in the post saying, hey, do you want to get content insurance? That's two weeks too late. Um, and you know, in, during that time period, I've already paid five weeks cash deposit, six, you know, you know, four weeks advance rent, uh, cost of moving. All of that adds up. And therefore, I'm incredibly stressed financially. So it's the wrong, wrong time to sell, you know, content insurance. But if we can have empathy-led, you know, um, engagement with the customer, putting ourselves in the in the shoes of the renter who is financially stretched. But if we are there, and again, through our 
core product, the Canopy Passport, is also about how do we help you know, renters build a better financial life. And then, and then through that engagement and empathy with the renter, understanding actually they are moving, and at that point of that, that move, informing the customer that actually by you know, five pounds uh, a month so you can get your you know, core things covered, your expensive MacBook, your expensive bike that you use every day to go to work because you're going to need it. So I think it's offering cover in a, uh, by first understanding what the customer needs and do they have the means to actually afford it. That's an important point. I think the means as well. So um, first of all, is, is renters insurance getting cheaper? Would, you know, and second of all, how do you help people who can't afford it? I mean, one of the points you made there to here was like making sure they're getting cover for the right things. If you don't have much money, just cover the most important things. If you have more money, cover broader things is, is that kind of where you're going with that, that, that that's exactly right that's that's exactly right so, so i think you know, again coming back to the the point around disposable income if i'm moving i have to pay you know traditional markets i have to pay five weeks cash deposit average deposit in london is about three thousand pounds plus another four you know five, you know, five you know, another four weeks rent uh, cost of moving disconnecting my last bills moving connecting my bills into the new property it all adds up but you know through our one of our product, you know, canopy deposit insurance. Suddenly, that three thousand pounds becomes, you know, uh, let's say, you know, ten percent, three hundred pounds. You, the tenant now has, you know, disposable income that they can then use to actually get better cover, right? So it's again, you know, making cover not only accessible to better awareness, but also affordable. Okay. But in that instance, you're just unlocking the cash flow between the two. So if Jimmy's talking about moving from flat to flat or house to house. Yeah. You're, you're unlocking the cash flow between those two transactions. Correct. We have a slightly different sort of approach to how we make it more accessible. So I guess one of our big things is being cheap for everyone. So we automate the hell out of everything that we can. Um, and that means that we have a really low cost structure and we can just pass that on to customers. And so that's a, an important way in which on a real like-for-like basis versus another insurer, we can bring prices down. I think the other thing that can be quite challenging in Connors insurance is, is fraud is reasonably high. And so if you don't know what you're doing on that, then that can be can be a real challenge. And I guess it's been really important to us that we have um, some pretty advanced data methods that allow us to sort of identify and, and reduce that fraud, which again, it just transfers into a cheaper product for the customer. Because I think, you know, if you're being really critical about the insurance industry with its response to fraud, particularly since chip and pin if we're going to if we're going to go on a long history arc um they've let themselves be targeted by by fraudsters everywhere um because they've not been very sophisticated about it so i think those are two pretty important levers that we pull just to be cheap for everyone i guess no fair enough absolutely and i think that that's probably a mentality that there aren't that not that many insurers um <laughs> have have at their core um i just wanted to sort of say because because we can't go by a show without mentioning at the moment have you seen any differences or any changes in any of the above that we've just talked about under the recent crisis so we you know we've we've co- had this conversation no oh, we're all suddenly working from home um you know is, is that making anybody think a bit more about having more insurance do they need more insurance now they're at home all the time you know ha- have your businesses seen any changes you know anything that you wanted to share publicly so uh you know we've been fortunate in that hasn't hasn't really affected our trading particularly but the behavior is all sorts of weird um <laughs> there are loads of things that didn't happen before that seem to happen now so to give you an example 
a lot of people are telling us that they're moving in with their parents. So I think there's just a lot of people who live in London who just are escaping the, the city. And obviously, that's the kind of thing you tell your insurer about to make, to make sure that you're covered. I think we're, we're in general seeing our retention go up. So basically, people who might have let it lapse before are now taking it more seriously. And just, you know, I guess, as, you know, as long as you keep your job in this environment, actually, you start going down your list of things it's like, well, I'm not going to the pub anymore. And I'm not going to the restaurant or the cinema or the theater. So I'm saving loads of money on that, even if times are a bit uncertain. So insurance is just quite far down the list of things you start to get back. And then the other thing is, I, I mentioned our 50-50 split of new versus switches. I don't have the data to hand, but I'm certain the switcher percentage has gone up. So loads of people are now, it's clear that they're comparing us versus another deal. And there's just a lot of people, I guess you're at home, your employer's not watching you, you, you know, uncertain times coming, you just log in, you know, go and find, find a new deal on your energy, your insurance, broadband, whatever. So, you know, whilst in some ways it's sort of business as usual for us, obviously everyone's working from home, which is, which is a bit weird, but lots of different consumer behavior than, you know, we're talking, this happened two weeks ago, really, that the things started changing and it's manic how fast it's all gone. Has the risk profile changed though? I mean, the fire brigade in the UK came out and said, as everyone's now working at home, watch out for things like overloaded sockets, more house fires, back to your point earlier, uh, more kitchen issues and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, but then no burglaries, less likely to be escaped water because you're there to catch it, which is the biggest claim driver. No out of home loss of things. <laughs> so I think it will change, but I guess our current view is that net net it will be similar. But again, yeah, it'll be different. But overall, it's the same. I guess if you if you were wheels based, it would be very different because, of course, there's less people on the road, less driving, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I guess same question to Utah here: Are you seeing the flow of stuff slowing down on the move? People moving or the rental market changing anyway that way? So the answer is yes. I mean, property is such an emotive um, thing, isn't it? I mean, you can't move into a new property unless you've seen it. So what we experienced is a complete lockdown of letting agents you know, like the entire market. So no one is moving, uh, no one is renewing their contracts. So there is a complete freeze in the, in the housing market, rental market. That being said, uh, what we've done this last week in light of COVID-19, I, I, I talked about um, four and a half billion pound of cash locked away as deposits. You know, the average lender, Londoner paying about three thousand pounds of cash in, in deposits. So I think you know, what we've done is, you know, um, whilst we welcome the, the very quick decisions and support that our government is offering businesses, big and small, you know, as well as you know, kind of giving uh, guaranteed pay to those who might be followed, what can we do at Canopy? So what we've done this last week is, if you've got your cash locked away in an existing tenancy contract, £2,000, £4,000, whatever the amount is, speak to your landlord. Um, and you can buy a canopy policy and get your cash back. And, you know, that extra £3,000, £4,000 might actually get you through to the next two to three months. Um, and so we've spoken to our existing customers, um, some of the big agents, and they're actually now sending that email out to their landlords and tenants saying, this is a time for us as a community to come together. And so if tenants can use their own cash uh, to replace that cash you know, with a, an insurance-backed contract, which allows the tenant to get through the difficult times whilst offering landlords an extra eight-week protection. So it's a win-win for all, for all of us. Not only that, and I think given what we're experiencing, hopefully once in a lifetime event, you know, £10 from every policy that we will sell between now and end of June 
we will contribute that towards the NHS, our frontline workers who are out there working for us. So it's amazing to see um, how different businesses have, have, have reacted there to your, your point about how um, there's, there's twofold here. You know, businesses are having to, to react to changing circumstances from, for their customers, but also we've seen a lot from the InsureTech community um, step, you know, stepping up and reaching out to, to help people at the same, the same time. Um, just I want to sort of touch on uh, the deposit-free insurance there that we, we, we've kind of mentioned a little bit, but... Um, you know, we've talked quite a lot about the benefits of it, and I think you've described what it is um, quite comprehensively there to hear. But are there any downsides to, to doing deposit-free insurance? I mean, uh, for example, do you end up, you know, if you have a traditional deposit and you don't break anything, then you get all your money back. If you're doing deposit-free insurance, do you end up paying a fee and actually end up worse off financially than you would be? I know, it, I know it's a big if, but if you had the 1,300 quid up, up front or whatever it is. Look, I think, you know, so I start with the you know, the benefits, right? The benefit to the landlord is, you know, um, you know, if you take a cash deposit, you have to register with one of the deposit schemes, and there's a cost to the landlord doing that. And cash deposits are capped at five weeks, you know, whilst our deposit replacement policy gives landlords eight weeks cover. So they have the exact same protection as with cash deposits, but just more cover, um, you know, without the cost. Similarly to the to the renter, you know, again, unless you are, you know, you are someone who's cash rich, most people and most renters aren't. And I mentioned around 35% of the UK's adult population being financially stretched. And so therefore, you know, not coming up with a new deposit every time you move is expensive. And so, yes, there's an upfront cost to the cost of insurance, um, you know, but equally, it makes the, the move into a new property incredibly affordable. Yeah. Not only that, what we've done again in light of COVID-19 uh, over the last week is we've actually dropped our insurance premium. You know, we've dropped our premium to a 10% flat rate rather than it being a variable rate to really make the product affordable because these are testing times. So how do we help renters, you know, whether you are in property and you have your £3,000, £4,000 cash locked or you're someone looking to move around June, you know, um, September timeframe, how do we make the product more affordable? So we've dropped the premium on our policy and also dropped our platform admin fees, which were used to be 10% of the, uh, of, the, um, of the premium. So I think we've, yes, there's an upfront cost of insurance, but in the long run, it really pays out because you get more cover as a landlord and our product is the only product in the UK and European market where in addition to protecting the landlord for eight weeks, we also cover the tenant for critical life events like job loss or critical illness. The life events one's really interesting. I think, wasn't there a, a comment from the ABI with regards to income protection recently as well? So when you say losing job, how are you covering that? What's the, what's the piece that's going on there? You know, it's, let's say um, you know, you've paid a, you, know, you purchased a policy, you've got £3,000 of a cover, your deposit cover, and you move out of, out of that tenancy contract two years later and there's a, there's a claim. In normal circumstances, you know, let's say you've spilt you know, red wine on the couch, uh, the normal circumstances, tenant would pay the claim back to the landlord and happy days. If tenant does not, insurance pays out and then seeks a curry from the tenant. You know, now, the exception to that is if you've lost your job, right? So in normal, in normal time, if you lost your job then, and there's a claim from the landlord, then in those scenarios where you've lost your job and you've, you know, there's a claim from the landlord, the insurer pays the claim out to the landlord and no recovery at all from the tenant. Now, we're not living in normal times. You know, this is a black swan event, once in a lifetime event. So therefore, 
I think job loss in the next three to six months because of COVID-19 situation is not covered from, by a policy. So, um, so I think that's a, a good point to just um, go back to the to, to your partnership, actually. So, you know, to hear you've kind of explained the benefits, and and we know we know there are there are always going to be downsides to doing things differently, right? So, you do it one way, it benefits for some people. You do it another way, it benefits other people. You know, you've got to work out what's the right product for you. Um, but in terms of you know what you two are doing together, can I don't know who wants to give me a quick a quick synopsis, a brief synopsis, and then talk about you know why it's better for you to have this kind of joint approach rather than you know people people doing things individually well i think as i mentioned we started a very simple mission how do we help renters live their best financial life by putting more money in their pocket and so that's about us you know kind of offering our customers the products that actually fit into stretched budgets and so it's not necessarily us having to build everything ourselves we'll find the best partners in the market who are aligned to our mission our purpose of actually helping you know live renters live a better financial life and so we've looked at the market and we've looked at, you know, our customers need content insurance. Uh, and so we spoke to J- Jimmy earlier in the year, I think last year, and you know, great product, affordable product. That's, that's important. It's affordable, it's dynamic, and it's a great fit for our customers on our platform. Jimmy, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, similarly to, to here, it's really important that when we partner with brands, we partner with brands where we have shared values um, and clearly it's a really big focus for us to be keeping an eye out for the renter and building something that really works for renters. You know, from our point of view, you know, it should be pretty obvious that insurance is a competitive space and, you know, going out and advertising and competing versus the meerkats is expensive. So we're always looking for ways that we can, you know, work with other brands that already have an audience that, you know, effectively cost them zero marginal costs to market to their own customers and say, you know, here, look, there's this great, great product. And maybe, you know, it's not on all the comparison sites. And, and it, you know, you, maybe you haven't heard of it yet, but it's really made for you and it's really suited. And we, and we find actually, you know, we, we often survey customers after they come through partnerships like this to see, you know, why they bought from us. And a really common thing that comes up is that they really trust the brand they already work with. And that trust kind of transfers to us and, and kind of confers to us as a result. So we really like doing these partnerships and they're you know, a really really good way for us to sort of scale up quickly too so we're sort of early days we only kind of announced it the other day but um but really excited what we can do together over the next year brilliant well with that in mind i'm going to be really mean because normally i ask people what they think is next for their space so you know what do you think is next for for the rental insurance or the rent broader rental market now this is a tough question under normal circumstances but given what else is going on around us you know I, I'd, I'd be really interested to know you know some of the changes you've both mentioned are are they going to continue? Are we going to see long-term changes in behaviour? So we're talking about recessions, economic downturns. Are we going to see a hell of a lot more people moving in with their parents? You know, that changing the demographic. If people have lost their jobs, you know, insurance is not going to be the thing that they're thinking about necessarily straight away, particularly if there's people who can't afford to feed their children. You know, there's that kind of thing to bear in mind. But also, you know, what other uh, moves do you think the industry will do to to adapt to that to to adapt to that situation? Because obviously one of the you know the the, the key characteristics of insurtechs and, and and smaller companies is that you can adapt quickly and you can get things out there that meet your customers' needs. So um, let's let's keep it to sort of like the next six or twelve months and let's all take it with a pinch of salt because who knows what's happening tomorrow? Who, know, who knows? Uh, yeah. But based on what you've seen so far, nobody knows. Um, I think. I guess, you know, what's sort of particularly weird is 
we typically see a peak from sort of March, and I'm sure it is not dissimilar, from March to October, driven by people moving. And then they move house, that's when they first buy insurance, and then they're on their annual renewal cycle thereafter. So they're also switching on roughly the same frequency. I guess what we're watching to see is, does that happen? Does everyone suddenly decide they're going to move in October, November this year? Because they, they kind of got that locked up. There's all sorts of weird things going on in the background with property that people might not have heard of as well. So Airbnb is a really interesting one. A lot of people had come into these really complex lease arrangements where they loaned money to take a long-term let on a property so that they could put it on Airbnb and get these really high yields. Now those those properties are suddenly coming back onto the market. So if you're the classic renter, if you wanted to live in zone one but lives in zone six, actually over the next few months, you could move into a lovely flat in, in zone one. I think weird stuff is going to continue to happen, basically is, is the only prediction that I have. And things like that will emerge that drive kind of different different behavior. I guess from our point of view in the macro sense, you know, we were always, always positioned as a value brand. And you know, we think that sets us up well for a time when people are going to flock to value. Um, and so you know, we're, we're being pretty front-footed about everything. Um, but I think, you know, all businesses and, you know, I've probably spoken to, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 other business leaders over the last couple of weeks, right? It's, it's mad out there. Everyone's talking to each other. And I think the, the consistent theme is getting your business onto a footing where you can move fast and you can change change quickly because right now the reality changes every 24 hours. So if you are too slow and too flat-footed, that's that's pretty hard. So we've actually, you know, been spending a lot of time thinking about, for example, how we do our reporting so that it's super responsive. So it's daily, not weekly, right? And, you know, having just a constant view of, of what's going on and surveying the market, talking to our customers more, not less, even if they are at home. So I, I, all I can say really is that we are setting ourselves up for max uncertainty. And I think that's all anyone can really do. It, it's really interesting the point you make about speaking to customers more, not less. There's an article that came out last week that said, I've heard from my gyms, my restaurants, my whatever, but the one person I've not heard from is my insurance companies. So I think it's really interesting um, that you say you're talking to them more or less. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, so Stephen, uh, uh, bought by many, published a reasonably long uh, blog article today basically being critical about the silence of insurers. And I think he's he's right that they, they haven't really... Sort of talked up other than to say we're close, we're closing our call center you can't make a claim <laughs> that sort of stuff um and so it's not been the finest the finest moment i guess yeah for us we consider that a massive competitive advantage the connection we have with our customers the the kind of being direct to consumer and getting that data flowing so it's sort of you know second nature for us to, to do that but hopefully that will be what what standards in good stead over the sort of coming months and to hear, how about you? You know, what what, uh, what predictions have you got? I mean, uh, Jimmy's sort of, I suppose, slightly played it safe there, saying it's going to be weird. We're just going to prepare for weird. Um, <laughs> do you agree with that, or are you doing? You know, are you perhaps predicting something different? So I think you know um, the immediate kind of aftermath of this uh, recession um, uh, that, that is impending is it's going to profoundly change our, how we live and how we work. Um, you know, so that's going to also similarly impact on our living habits. And so therefore, the types of risk we ensure, that's going to change over the next, I mean, over the next 12, 24 months. But I think bringing it back to, you know, kind of, I think kind of what we are saying, I, w- I would like to say is, yes, insurance typically has you know, a bad name in terms of not being, you know, when, when you need it. 
And actually, you know, I think that's precisely what we're trying to change. So again, our offer around, you know, if you've got your cash locked in, take that money back and replace that with insurance because we're there for you. Um, but I think beyond the immediate gonna help uh, for anyone who might need that extra bit of cash, uh, the way I see you know, the, the market evolving, and in our case, the insurance market evolving is, so look, I think it doesn't matter where you rent, right? So the first thing you need to rent a property is you need to be referenced, right? That's anywhere globally, you know, in a, that's a global need. And the whole point of Canopy's Passport is we're there with you. You know, we're there when you move into a property. We help you move into a property quickly. And then whilst you're in a property 10, 12 years, you know, we're there growing with you. So right from the point when you get a first job and you have a Mac and a bike to when you have more content because you're more cash rich. So I think the way, you know, um, you know we think the insurance is going to evolve is from us selling insurance and you need a, this insurance and that insurance. You know, the canopy, you know, canopy passport and canopy is all about how do we immerse ourselves in the life of a renter? So when they move into a property and, and from the point of renting a property, the point of moving uh, buying a property, we're there all the way to the passport. And then through the, you know, through open banking and other rich data sets, we're offering them the right cover and suggesting cover based on their changing lifestyle. So from then, you know, all of us have been, you know, young students at some point, and in my case, about 100 years ago. Um, you know, when you rent with your flatmates and you get, get your first job, to 12 months later, you rent with your partner, then actually buying a house. So how do we evolve with you without you even realizing? I think that's the evolution of uh, the insurance industry. That wraps up this discussion. Thank you so much to my two guests and to Nigel. Where can our listeners find out more about you and about your companies? Uh, to hear, how about you? To find out more about Canopy, um, customers can, and those who are renting, they can find out more about by visiting canopy.rent. Perfect. Thank you. Jimmy, how about you? I'm actually giving up Twitter. It's too stressful, so I'm not on there anymore. But you can find out about our business at myurbanjungle.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, Probably LinkedIn is the easiest way. You tend to post some things on there. Be reasonably findable. Perfect. And Nigel, how about you? I'm still living the stressful life of Twitter, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, Nigel Walsh on Twitter or on LinkedIn, where I feel like I'm throwing out loads of words right now. Thank you very much. Um, and you can find me on Twitter as well at Sarah Kachansky. I think I'd be fired if I gave it up. So there we go. As always, you can find this show on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and all your other podcast providers. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter for more news and content. That's 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. And InsureTech Insider will be back soon. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Goodbye.